0: Good afternoon and welcome to The Legal Connection with Tony and Cheryl. Tony and I are here today. Uh, you can listen to us on 104.5 or 106.1 or you can watch us live and listen to us on Facebook. And also, uh, tomorrow, Google Play and iTunes at com. You can download that and listen. If you want, today we are continuing a conversation that we had last week about preservation of error is what we called it. Yes. But it's uh, it's preparing the what that essentially is, is preparing the record in trial. You know, those court reporters, they're taking the record, mm-hmm, they're mm-hmm. taking down everything that was said, so that if you get something, a ruling that you don't like at the trial level, then you can appeal it. And the appellate court can look at everything that happened, right. everything that was if, said. If you and,
1: know going in that you have got a slam dunk case, there's absolutely no way you're going to lose, um, then you're not going into it with the right attitude. You've got to go into it preparing to be able to bring up why you might get burnt, and then have that ready on appeal, and that's what we're talking about today. And I'm going to read just a little brief introduction statement because it's such a great statement. Mm-hmm. And we talked about this a little bit um, in the last show about preservation of error, and sort of uh, we went over sort of an abstract of the topics that you need to go over. And we're going to t- today we're going to go over a little bit more detail of uh, some pointers and tips that you may need to bear in mind whether you're pro se. Uh, representing yourself, uh, mm-hmm. maybe in small claims court or whatever, even though they don't have as strong of a, a ability to preserve error on that level because you're can appeal to the county court. But um, pro se or whether um, you're a new attorney or an attorney that is practicing error you're not comfortable with, or just for a refresher, these are amazing pointers. So uh, but uh, appellate practice is every bit as strategic as trial practice. So don't be thinking, oh, you know, I'm not gonna be thinking about that in my trial. Be always having your eye on, I might like a warranty. I might need to do this and to make sure that my case is warranted. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, on appeal, the appellate practitioner should look for the equities in addition to identifying the legal principles that control the case. Uh, sometimes the equities that could sway the appellate court in your client's favor can be found in the underlying facts of the case. Right. Sometimes those equities can be found in a skewed nature of the way the case was tried. If there was a mistake or maybe... If um, something came up with the, the judge or your jurisdiction or your venue or there was a bias or there was uh, bikers wearing vests that decided to come in and sit in, while the jury's there. I mean, there could be an, a litany of things that are going to affect your case while it's going on that you need to be aware of, that you need to make sure it gets on the record if something goes wrong.
0: Well, Tony, like if you say a bunch of bikers showed up in your case, how would you get that on the record? Well, that, funny you ask,
1: <laughs> <laughs> that happened to me in a case that I had. Um, It was a super aggravated sexual assault case, and uh, my client was in every way innocent. There was no evidence. There was no DNA. He didn't do anything. It was just an angry... He was
0: the accused person, your client? He was
1: the person charged, the accused, but he... um, The. Mother-in-law or the grandmother of this this five-year-old wanted custody. Her son was being deported. The daughter, um, she had done all kind of things for the daughter-in-law to try to get her out of the picture by turning her in with trumped-up, uh, you know, child abuse. You, you left your kid alone for five minutes in the car, whatever. And um, but she was very good about manipulating the system. And she called the uh, when they were going to get married, my client and the daughter-in-law. Uh, We're well not the daughter-in-law. She, they weren't married. That was why the the mother-in-law now wanted the kid. Um, she wanted to make sure that she still had access to her all the time and that she was raising her. And so she needed to. And she knew that now that this girl was getting ready to get married to my client, her son, she was going to lose the ability to see this child all the time and raise her, raise another child. Not that her son was all that great. Her son was all, in all kind of legal trouble. And so um, she waited until my client. And the daughter-in-law, or I want to say daughter-in-law, the the, the mother of the child, um, had custody, and they had to drop the do- little girl off. They were being nice; they were like, "We'll just let you watch her for a while." And um, she took that advantage of that, and she went to the emergency room with the little girl and said, "I think she's got, uh, you know, a venereal disease or whatever." And there was nothing wrong with her. I think she may have had like a urinary tract infection or something, but um, she said, "Oh no, um, that they, she has been raped and all this other stuff." And the police came and arrested my guy where he worked and they had nothing. That was all they had was that allegation, nothing more. And so we, it was a felony charge. We went to trial and during trial, all these bikers showed up in all their vests, and it was to protect the innocent. And I forgot what it was, but they all lined up in the hallway as the jury was filing in. And then they went to the courtroom all dressed like this. And so I brought to the attention of the judge. I'm like, your honor, this is completely inappropriate. They're, they're uh, convicting my client before there's even any testimony, and um, wow. and it was really bad. And so I had to get that on the record. Um, and that's the kind of thing you're looking for things that are completely. Out there, and that would never get on the record if you didn't make sure it was on the record, and you right, do that right. by
0: objecting, right,
1: right. and informing the court. Motion limine. We're going to talk about mm-hmm. that. Things that come up. I wouldn't even have known to move in limine for that. That was right. sort of out, of out there. But in another case that I did a murder trial, the the what, um, and that one we won. You know, he, my client got exonerated, but not not. Because it, they did everything they could to make sure, and I say the prosecutors as well as the um, the ex-wife and the prosecutors were kind of playing dirty. They were they had taken all the mail and all the correspondence that that anytime somebody visited, they took it and they recorded it, and they can record that even if you're in the big busy. Um, area where you think they can't hear they can. They got all the mail, they subpoenaed it and they brought it into trial. That came
0: to jail? Came to the jail? Yeah, anybody
1: that visited him, they took anything they said and anything he said that was not attorney-client privilege and they brought it up in trial. They were ready just to... And this stuff was completely innocuous because he didn't do anything. Well... It was, it was a bad case, but he didn't do anything. And they, they ended up, they found out that he was having fear with his brother's wife. Oh, and they oh brought dear. that up, and she was a witness. And I didn't know they were going to bring that up because I never knew he said it. Sure. Because they didn't disclose it to me like they were supposed sure. to. But it was not harmful here because his character with regard to whether he was going to cheat on his ex, we weren't cheating, she was cheating. My client was already divorced so um, or estranged. and um, But the, the estranged wife, and they had already separated, um, got on TV and she started making all these allegations, and the, the media was eating it up, and his face was everywhere. And she was mm-hmm. making false allegations, and it ends up that I was able to limit that out because it wasn't relevant, yeah. and um, it was hearsay on top of that because mm-hmm. she was saying, you know, things. And mm-hmm. but it was a really, it was a, a really difficult case. But we're going to talk about motions of limine and how you mm-hmm. keep these things mm-hmm. out. Now, sometimes though, the equities may be policy rationales that would influence the appellate court to want to rule of to want the rule of law to allow your client to recover. So you're also looking at kind of the atmosphere of what's going on, like the Trump impeachment, that kind of thing. Keep in mind that judges... Are people too and mm-hmm. they're exposed to all the kind of things that are going on the outside mm-hmm. uh, and, and whether and most of them are elected officials and so mm-hmm. they're looking particularly like an election year like this year mm-hmm. at what their electorate uh, their electorate, elected electorate electorate's uh, looking at too mm-hmm. so they want to use that in their campaign if it's a hot you know contested uh, uh, Topic, election yeah. now mm-hmm. uh, the equities are only gift wrapping uh, the presence inside of the wrapping are the legal principles on which the appeal is based equity should not be overlooked in handling appeals now another key appellate strategy is to take on the long view to understand that a good appellate strategy really begins at the onset of the case right just like we were talking about Um, it is at that point where the record is developed that can support an appeal or make an appeal unwinnable if -hmm. you're not careful after all, the winning appellate arguments must stand on the three-legged stool of the error that is preserved and that is harmful, mm-hmm. has to be harmful error. Mm-hmm. Um, and that we talked about that last week where you could say, well, I wasn't read my Miranda rights. You know, um, I have all my jailhouse lawyers that tell mm-hmm. me I know this has got to be thrown out. Well, if you later, if they were later able to get... Uh, admissible testimony that supported whatever mm-hmm. you may have said. Mm-hmm. Then well, doesn't now, doesn't matter. It's not harmful anymore. Mm-hmm. And it was voluntary. Yeah. And so just because you have an error doesn't make it harmful. Or you have to have harmful error to be able to win on appeal. Mm-hmm. Um, the legs of this stool must be put in place while the trial is in the trial court. Mm-hmm. The fertile areas of appellate success are covered below with rules and practice pointers, and I mean in below in the trial court, for setting up a successful appeal. It's your warranty. Now, of course, in many instances, the appellate practitioner is confronted with the case for the first time after trial, because the appellate lawyer is, typically you don't have trial lawyers who also do appellate work. Right. It's really good if you have someone that does both, because sure. they do know the case, mm-hmm. but they also have a lot more liability, because they did the case, and they can't answer anything. I, I do both, because I find it a lot easier to win my appeals when I've done the trial work Mm -hmm. because I've been doing this exact thing. I'm preparing for the warranty of an appeal. Now, um, but even then, post-verdict and post-judgment motions may provide a vehicle to assist in setting up appealed arguments. Even after the juries come back with the verdict, or the judges come back on the bench trial uh, or, or, uh, at the bench with something that you you've gotten a summary judgment? With, mm-hmm. Then mm-hmm. you still got your post judgment motions: motion for a new trial, motion for judgment notwithstanding the verdict, uh, motion to get evidence in um, a um, an in well mm-hmm. a, an informal um, bill of review is going to be or an offer of proof is one that's before the jury goes <laughs> in, but and a formal offer of proof to get a bill of review way after the judgment's been entered is also a, a an, an area where you can go even after you believe your appeal you can't even go back to it, you can still bring a bill of review in many cases if you had a constitutional error. Um, so don't don't give up just because the judgment may have come back against you. Um, and when the appellate practitioner is not involved in the case lands in the Court of Appeals, the savvy appellate lawyer, I guess, um, mm. can still scour the record already made to identify arguments that are sufficiently preserved to provide effective fodder for an appeal and it starts all the way from the beginning when mm-hmm. you're interviewing your client starting from the beginning of pleadings that what have you. now we we could go into a lot of detail which we will go into enough detail to hit some finer points in our show because this is not you know a full-blown uh, course in, in law school mm-hmm. but um, there are some areas that are not known to uh... pro se's are maybe attorneys that don't do a lot of trial practice um... that at you as a client Uh, should be aware of. And one of those is motions and limiting. I think they're really important. And you're going to tell us a little bit about those.
0: Mm -hmm. Um, I just want to add to what you said, uh, you know, because we talked to our people are listening, our pro se and the problem, like you said, I mean, you just touched on it, is that a lot of attorneys don't know how to set up a case for appeal. But I mean, it's a nightmare. Because it's
1: such a different area of law. Mm -hmm. Um, When I've done, uh, you know, I really try to focus on appeals, um what i discovered was that uh, i would say 99 percent of the attorneys that i work with is my colleagues and mm-hmm. they're brilliant lawyers mm-hmm. they're not even um admitted to the bar of the united states supreme court mm-hmm. because they've never taken an appeal to they've not persevered mm-hmm. to that extent mm-hmm. when they've got winnable cases but they just haven't pursued that nor have they gone in the federal direction with the bill of review when they've got when they completely, um, when their clients have uh, been uh, their constitutional rights have been violated, mm-hmm. when you should be mm-hmm. able to preserve that jurisdictional argument with a bill of review, even after you believe you don't have any argument and your appeals have passed. So, um, so you need to go forward with that. But the, again, um, a lot of trial lawyers don't really focus on the <clears throat> uh, the appeal appellate part mm-hmm. of it mm-hmm. because they have such slam dunk cases. They know the general areas of of uh, preserving error mm-hmm. and they're very, very good at it. Mm-hmm. But uh, hopefully we'll touch on some areas here
0: today that are some things that the client can also bring their attention. They don't know. That's, that's mm-hmm. kind of what I, the point that I was trying to make. If you're representing yourself, I think it's important. Or if you have an
1: attorney and you might, you might be just on the lookout to make sure like we're, we're, uh, you know, girls. And I would say that in general, we don't do car mechanics. We usually leave that up to our guys. And that's the kind of thing they are more interested in. Right. Um, so they have a uh, more, Expertise in that, but uh, certainly with my experience now with my number of cars I've had broken down, I know what questions to ask. Mm-hmm. But even with the more finicky ones, the more things I know to ask, the better off I am with someone exactly. repairing my car so that I know that I'm getting a, a not getting ripped off when they're repairing it, mm-hmm. or if it really is something that I should just give to cars for kids or
0: something and not even bother with right, it, right? Right, okay. So, uh, we're talking about pretrial motions, motions in Lemony. Uh, The purpose and effect of a motion in limity are frequently misunderstood. A motion in limity is a procedural device that permits a party one party or the other. You usually have two parties in a lawsuit. Parties sides, right? To, yeah. uh-huh, to identify before trial certain evidentiary rulings that the court may be asked to make in the trial. Right. So it's asking them to make them beforehand, mm-hmm. right? The purpose of the motion is to prevent opposing counsel from asking prejudicial questions and introducing prejudicial evidence in front of the jury without first asking the court's permission. Which, and I'm just going to say that <laughs> generally...
1: Um, uh, I want to say generally in Montgomery County, um, most of the courts have a standard motion and limity that you follow. But if you prepare your own, you can uh, also attack some areas that you know will come up that are not in that general motion and limity. That the general motion and are just uh, they're just addressing the standard Texas rules of civil procedure, things that you're not supposed to bring up. You shouldn't bring up right. hearsay. Right. You can't do this. You can't do you know. It's just a, a, it's a, a a sort of a, 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 a list, just a bullet yeah. list of things that we're reminding you: you can't do this because it's against the rules.
0: And that's on the court website, right? The right, motions right. To and you limine. can look at that. But what mm-hmm. I like to do is
1: I like to uh, prepare my own that's going to address issues that may come up that are uh, that I know that if it's brought up and I have to object, that the jury is going to see that it's something I'm concerned about, and I don't want uh, that. I want a ruling in advance by the court as to whether or not they're going to let that in. And, and I'll still object, but I know to prepare my strategy better if up front I know how the court's gonna, the judge is gonna rule. She doesn't know the case or he doesn't know well, the so case. Well, so
0: for example, what do you not wanna come in that you would object to?
1: That um, We had, um, and this wasn't in my favor, it was against me, but it was a good strategy on the opposing counsel's part. We recently did a jury trial where um, my uh, the opposing uh, the opposing side is um, inspired with his uh, uh, nephew-in-law to defraud the mother's estate so that um uh, and they put all of the uh they they fraudulently moved three days before the mom died not knowing that she was going to die so soon no one knew um that i think he might have had a hand in it actually um to move all of the property into A trust, a phony trust, one that the mom did not set up so that they could be able to um, uh, defraud the estate and take all the other heirs that were entitled to something and they'd have nothing Mm -hmm. uh, under the pretense that the mom set up a trust and it was all here under the the uh, the trustful, uh, watchful and trust, uh, watchful, trusted eye of the the bad actor. Right. Mm -hmm. Well, the bad actor had conspired with his bad nephew in law who was uh who had also already been charged and um I think at that point convicted of embezzlement mm-hmm. with banks and what have you. Well, he ended up in a different case um murdering his own stepfather under another estate uh case. Uh so it was the same kind of thing. Somebody was being murdered over property. Mm-hmm. And so the opposing side in this case um did not want me to bring up that that their client had conspired and made a trustee and and put on all of these accounts that belonged to the deceased mother, the murderer, the embezzling murderer, mm-hmm. and so they approached the judge with a motion limiting, and said we think that there's it's too prejudicial for her to be able to bring up her meaning me mm-hmm. um, that it's too prejudicial that it be that it be brought up that the the trustee the, the the designated co-trustee and the partner and the person that set up all the accounts is a murderer now because of the time he wasn't well that's just you you i think what is the adage you are who you hang around with mm-hmm. that is what was going on and mm-hmm. i needed to bring that in but they were able to get a ruling from the judge that if you want to bring this up you're going to have to approach first mm-hmm. and um, which is exactly what we're talking right. about right and at that time i didn't i had a a felony of uh, uh, admission of embezzlement with the bank, but they had not the the murder trial had not gone through yet, and now it has. So the judge would not mm. let me bring up that this guy was a murderer, and it was a really good strategy. Mm. Um, so that's the kind of thing you want to do, depending on which side you're on. Now, of course. When you see their motion limit, you're going to argue it's not that prejudicial. In fact, it's core to the case that committed mm-hmm, fraud. Mm-hmm. This is kind of pre- people that would commit fraud and need to mm-hmm, look at this. Mm-hmm. But the judge said, well, I'm not going to let that in. And so um, I believe, because I did object mm-hmm. uh, on the record that I believe that it wasn't prejudicial. It was relative to the, the, the very strong point of my case. I have a point of error, but they also, if they had not brought that up, that would have been error on their part. So that's the kind of thing we're bringing up was the, was um, even if, if it's something that should come in, If your attorney argues that it's prejudicial, you can give it a shot and it may not come up in front of the jury because had that come up in front of the jury I would have been in a real a much better place than you oh, know yeah, as far as a Absolutely.
0: Argument. And then the jury would have known what was actually going on yeah, too. Right right. But it's important for our listeners to understand that these are tentative motions you make them at the beginning mm-hmm. then you have to make them again Outside in front of the jury. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Uh, the motion in limine and they do not preserve error on appeal. In order to right. preserve error on appeal, you have to do what you were just saying. You bring it up, but even if the judge rules in your favor on a
1: motion limiting and says you cannot bring it up, if it is not, if you don't attempt to bring it up and then make your objections of record and then you... During um, the trial. You you ask to do uh, a... um, you asked to, of to make an offer of proof outside the presence of the jury, and that means that means that you're going to present the evidence that would have been presented to the jury and why it's important. You're going to read it
0: to the court reporter, you're going to read it to basically. The court reporter, make sure you Just that put it the jury in the record.
1: It, so a lot of uh, many many attorneys believe there's a motion in limine, I got a ruling on it, you can't bring it up, and they right. think they're covered. Oh, the judge ruled against me, I can't bring it up. Oh no, it, you've got to not only uh, they've got you've got to address it before the judge, find out how it's going to be ruled upon when it is brought up, and then bring it up again. And you're not. In in breach the motion limine if you um, if you try to bring it up the other side's going to object and you just say as the attorney that wants to bring it up after you've been ruled against on the motion may we approach and then that's when you make the offer you're not doing it at the motion limine at the the the, the, the hearing at the motion limine you're doing it during trial and you never have to worry about okay the jury the, the, all the jurors have to get up and leave don't worry about offending the jurors they're uh, doing their public service as mm-hmm. as jurors. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. they they showed up if they, they had the the different things that allowed you not to come to be uh, a part of the the, the yeah. jury panel mm-hmm. uh kids in school you know illness or whatever it is then they wouldn't have come but they were there mm-hmm. they understand that mm-hmm. they get to go back in the back and we always hear them laughing most oh, I of the know. time yes so so um it's uh, you you want to make sure that you preserve that air in that way okay so that's that's the motion limine is not preservation of error right it's really a tool to um to see how the judge is going to rule on something that needs to come in one way or the other and you still need to bring it up and you still need to make a legal objection you still have to preserve that error of record and if it does come out because the other side has breached the motion of limine, then you have to make additional errors you have to move to you approach move to strike ask for sanctions you do the things that you have to do to show that judge we've already talked about this and they brought it up and they weren't supposed to and so uh and if it's if if uh, for an example a, a an unspoken motion eliminate, limine, but it's one that that is actually not even unspoken. It's just part of the standard motion in limine for DWI trials. Is you can't bring up the uh, the breath test that was done uh, at the, the car. Uh, because the mobile, know, the portable breath tests mm-hmm. are not admissible because they're not uh, reliable enough. Mm-hmm. And so um, you, it's, it's hearsay. Mm-hmm. And so I don't know if you want to consider hearsay, but it's something that doesn't come in because it's not admissible. And so if uh, your police officers on the stand happens to bring up, oh, well, I did a breath test on the side of the car, that is... Now the jury's heard something, uh, you know, and if it's detrimental and and they've they've made, they've alluded to or or outright said that they didn't pass it. And let's say that there was no evidence in that breath thing. He just lied. Let's Mm -hmm. say that they didn't even say that. Let's just say he lied. Mm -hmm. Um, you, uh, You can't object to perjury. You have to be able to walk through the person on the stand to prove they're lying. But if they bring up something um, like the, the, breath alight, the breath test, it's hearsay, and you've already gotten a ruling on the motion to limine, then that's when you object, you move for a mistrial, uh, because it's already been discussed. Right. So you still have to do everything that within, or your attorney has to do within your power to uh, make sure it's on the record and that it was a legal objection, that you that you, you have the proof in the record, even outside the jury, of, of um, well, Absolutely, outside the jury, if depending on which side is arguing it, um, to show the appellate court what's going on, and if it's the other side that sent it to you, then you need to uh, preserve error by objecting, approaching, and moving for a mistrial and asking for sanctions.
0: Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Yeah. So you've just been talking about if it's granted, denied. And let's go over if it's granted again what what the what if are the, granted, the prongs to If it. the trial court grants the opposing party's motion in limine mm-hmm. to preserve error in the exclusion of the evidence you must approach the bench during so trial. that's the first thing. Formally formerly object and approach the bench. Formally, you jump up like a bunny. Uh-huh. Objection, may we approach. Okay. And then you formally offer the evidence, right? Obtain a ruling on its admissibility. Yes. and make an offer of proof so walk us through what that looks like you you approach objection your honor may we approach so we'll go we'll go a step further we've already had our motion to limit hearing which mm-hmm. not all trials have that but you want
1: to make sure this one it happens for you that's the proper thing to do it doesn't mm-hmm. matter how low the court is even if it's JP court motion limine is simply the Latin words for motion to limit what comes in okay and um and I may be wrong on that exact Latin interpretation but close enough um, so you've got a ruling um, Can't bring up breathalyzers. Okay, just that example. Mm -hmm. And the other side brings it up. Mm -hmm. You hear it coming out. You hear it. You think it's getting ready to come out. Objection, Mm -hmm. Your Honor. And then you say, May we approach? Whether it came out or uh, if it, depending on whether it came out or not, depends on just how how your objection is going to go. go, Right. And you approach the bench. You formally offer what just transpired. The evidence depending on which side it is, you object now if it's granted because you wanted evidence in. So I'm looking at it both sides. If they brought something up they weren't supposed to, your objection and you're going crazy. And you're making sure it's on the record. If it's something that you wanted to come in and they're objecting, then you approach and we'll, we'll approach that one because that's the one that I think. Um, is probably one that gets overlooked a lot. Yeah, you, have, uh, you think it, you've been, you've got an error, a preservation of error, because the motion of Lemony, you know, ruled one way or the other, and you don't. Mm-hmm. So you because you can't go to the appellate court and say, well, the judge would let me bring it in. Mm-hmm. That's not true because the mm-hmm. judge doesn't. The judge may. This is like your reconsideration moment. Mm-hmm. So you approach the bench. You say, this is what you wouldn't let in before, Your Honor, but this is why it needs to come in. They've already discussed it. It's now relevant. It's already come in through other witnesses, whatever the argument may be. And then you formally offer the evidence outside the jury. Um, you mark it. Um, they're going admit, to admit it for the limited purpose of it getting into the appellate level, so it's an offer proof. Um, You're going to obtain a ruling on its admissibility. The judge may reconsider and say, go ahead and bring it in. And it never hurts to keep trying. If you've got something that's that important, the other side r- obviously really doesn't want something in. If it's a letter that's the smoking gun or if it's the smoking gun itself, they don't want it to come in. They're going to mm-hmm. keep arguing, and you just keep trying to get it in because it's mm-hmm. that important. Um, obtain a ruling on the admissibility if the judge still doesn't let it in. We don't know if they're biased toward it. They may not understand. It's that important that this evidence get in because you know that's what's going to win your case. Then um you get a ruling on it. Now that you've got a ruling on it, you're still not done if you if if it has not been admitted to the court reporter with the offer of proof prior to the jury um, going into deliberations. So if those four things are done, Then you've preserved error on something very critical and you're burning mad. You're like, you're wanting to bring this up because it's so critical to your case when judges ruled against you. Mm -hmm. But if you get it in there, now the appellate court can see why you were so burning mad. Maybe the judge isn't up for reelection again. Maybe the judge is really good friends with the other side. Maybe the judge just doesn't understand because she just had a case that had something similar, but your facts are different Mm -hmm. and that hasn't come out yet. Mm -hmm. And don't, don't, um, uh, uh, rely just on that one ruling. Try it again. Object may we approach. Because throughout the the life of the trial, it may come up that now it is admissible. Now right. it's completely relevant. Something's come up that's made this through a, 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 through a testimony, which is not hearsay. Now you can bring it in. And I did that in a trial recently where I couldn't get it in, couldn't get in. And finally, I got... Something that I, I literally had my piece of paper sitting right there. I had my evidence. Of course, the other side couldn't see that. I was looking at it, waiting for that opportunity, waiting for that question to come through where I could get that in. And then we got it in. And then so, it happened. Yeah. So that's that's how what happens when the judge grants your motion in limiting. Now, what happens when the judge denies your motion in limiting? They're letting something in.
0: And you're you're like I can't believe the judge is letting this in. So what do you do? Uh, well, you make a timely objection at trial and you obtain a ruling on its admissibility. Mm-hmm. So you just want to have that in the record for mm-hmm. appeal that you objected and mm-hmm. you ask, and the judge said no. You're
1: still going to try again. So this so the motion limine is is just that it's a pre-trial. How's the judge going to rule on this? You still got to get it in the record at trial. You still got to get all that in there. Mm-hmm. You're not making. I guess you could have a stipulation with the opposing counsel that um, I'm not going to try to offer this, which would really be dumb, um, but I'd like to stipulate to get it in as an offer-proof pretrial. I mean, I guess you could sort of line it up like that if you wanted to, but I never do that. I know that it seems inefficient, and the other attorneys, the opposing counsel will always argue judges are not being cooperative, she's not working with me. Um, If we have similar exhibits, well, mine's already in, why why can't we just stipulate to that? Because you don't know unless you've had a lot of time to look at the exact exhibits that they're getting ready to enter. And you've had, like in federal court, you have to exchange them three days in advance. And you may be able to identify that they're exact same exhibits. But a lot of times they aren't exactly the same. It may be missing a signature. It may have one extra line item in it. It may be missing a page. It may have pages added. There's so many things that you really, in, in the throes of trial, don't have time to look at. And so I'm just like, you know, i um, I, I'm not trying to be honorary but let's just work this through. I see your exhibits are similar to mine. If they're exactly the same or maybe you even like theirs better, then, yeah, I'm going to stipulate to those coming in. But rarely do I stipulate to all the exhibits that match because you really don't know um, if they're playing fair. And I would say probably about 90% of the time, and it's really sad to say attorneys don't play fair yeah. if they're trying to slip something by on no. so. you.
0: Yeah. That's true. Uh, so that's what you do you get it if it's denied, you make a timely objection at trial and then you obtain a ruling it's got to be in the record and then like you said, you try again. Okay. you know look for that opportunity. now let's recap what happens
1: if that motion eliminate motion eliminate is violated. what happens
0: um, if opposing counsel violates an order granting a motion and eliminate like you just said, a lot of times they don't play fair. they know that the judge has said this can't be Are discussed. They, maybe
1: you're not paying attention when it comes up it comes yeah. up and it's in you get a motion eliminate. You've missed your, the boat because they've already said it because you're so, your client's talking to you or something, or they're trying to tell you something, which they always do and they mean well. But you're running a trial here. You're having to watch everything that's going on. You have no idea if a juror is winking at the other opposing mm-hmm. counsel or sleeping. Mm-hmm. Or you, you've, you're watching all this stuff. Mm-hmm. And the, 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 the witness or the opposing counsel is now getting something out that should be objected to. And so, what
0: happens next? Um, okay in most cases an ex- instruction to the okay to well, the extent for the
1: violation you're going to make the timely objection
0: yes um
1: if possible request a curative instruction mm-hmm. that's when you miss the boat mm-hmm. your honor uh, may we approach um you could you uh, ask the jury to disregard because that should never have come in and the juries really they, the juries really will disregard it because i've heard them when we've gone after the trial they'll say well we were told not to think about or listen to that mm-hmm. even though they've been tainted a lot of times they really and they will try. listen to it they do um and if necessary move for mistrial that's really important you do the last step because it could have been so tainted the judge may also agree that hearing about and every it's, it's an ironclad rule hearing about uh, a, a breath test by the car coming in and DWI. I keep bringing that one up because it mm-hmm. happened to me.
0: Well, and it's easy for the audience to identify with that. They know so many people that have had DWIs. Right.
1: And, but I, I made a mistake in that case and I learned from You always learn from your mistakes that I didn't, the only thing I didn't do because I was so stunned by this coming out that, um, and I wasn't even sitting by my desk. I was watching the cross from a different angle. So I wasn't there with my papers and everything. From, so I was a little bit disoriented the way they had the screen done. It was kind of weird. I was in a smaller court. Um, Um, I didn't ask for a mistrial. And I learned we did actually get um, the the charge was dismissed. The jury came back against Mm -hmm. us because of that, that very Mm -hmm. same thing. And um, we did get the the case dismissed. But if I had asked for a mistrial at that moment, I probably should have gotten it. I probably would have gotten it because I got it at post trial after the fact. But I could just kick myself because we went on, you know, we had the, the heartache of having to go back to trial. And, you know, um, he had to get a new bond, a post-trial bond and all that stuff. And so it was um, strenuous because I made that
0: one little mistake. So, mm-hmm. so you say objection, uh, request a curative instruction, and ask for a Well, mistrial. you're mad. You're, mm-hmm. You should be mad, but also
1: have the foresight from what we're telling you here today on the mm-hmm. show to say, objection your honor you ruled against this they brought it up i want sanctions and then you approach because they don't the, the other side doesn't want to hear you saying that kind of thing mm-hmm. the thing is you're making a big deal out of it though and now the jury hears and if she doesn't rule in your favor that's why you want to say objection from your approach even though you're mad and they all see that too um and then you make the timely objection uh you ask for the judge to make a curative instruction mm-hmm. and then you ask at the bench for a mistrial now if it's bad enough you can do it right in front of the jury because the jury i mean if you know if it's that bad if they have said something uh, completely that, and I, I can't think of one, but I'm sure a lot of other attorneys or people listening can think of something where they've said something that is complete so bad that you have to get a mistrial mm-hmm. at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't know what it would be, but it would be, uh, I'm, I'm thinking of the OJ case. So yeah. <laughs> I can't think of what it would be. But anyway, so um, you were telling us about.
0: The only thing I remember from the OJ case was that, uh, uh, the prosecution was relying on law that had been uh, overruled, you know, yeah. and I always think about that. OK, so we're talking about um, to the extent which you must pursue an adverse ruling after the trial court sustains, your objections varies by circumstance. Mm-hmm. You know, you were just talking about that mm-hmm. um, motion to exclude, unlike a motion in limine. Uh, which preserves nothing for review. A pretrial motion to exclude testimony can preserve a complaint about the admission of evidence. So that's for the appellate record. The motion right. to exclude, right? And so it's just like a motion in limine, but it's just a different motion.
1: Well, yeah. And I don't try to. Uh, there's a. I think it's a Texas Rule of Civil Procedure 45. I could be wrong on what actually the number is, but if you call something, you title a document something, mm-hmm. but it really serves a different purpose. Mm-hmm. It's kind of both, and there's mm-hmm. a real gray area there. Mm-hmm. If you're Asking for a judgment notwithstanding the verdict, or if you're asking for the judge to disregard certain jury findings, or all of the jury findings, it's kind of the same thing, but it's got a few different standards. And so, um, I usually, if um, uh, if there's something I really want to keep out, I don't, I don't make. I'm not conservative about it. I will file a motion to exclude as well as uh, the motion uh, the motion limiting. The motion to exclude is something you usually will file maybe a week or two even in advance. You're what you're filing that for the record, so it gets in on the appellate record. Motion limiting is usually a pretrial motion that's done sometimes at the pretrial conference a few days before trial, two mm-hmm. weeks before trial, depending on which court you're in. Mm-hmm. But a lot of times it's done just right before trial. It's usually not. They just wait because they don't know if your
0: trial is going to go that day because right. they've got a, a pretty large docket. Mm-hmm. So, um, now, <coughs> um, you know, just the motion to exclude for our listeners, it's the same thing. As- well, let me ask,
1: let me add one more thing about motions and limiting before we mm-hmm. go to motions to exclude, okay. um, violations of an order on a motion in limiting are considered. And this is, um, uh, this is the law. This is uh, not Supreme court law, but it's, it's, it's been basically ratified by the Supreme court by virtue of them denying a writ on the same subject, um, it's incurable if the instructions to the jury could not eliminate the danger of prejudice. Um, counsel need not request a curative instruction, but should instead just go directly for the mistrial. Mm-hmm. I ask for both. Mm-hmm. I want a curative instruction, and I'm asking for a mistrial. Why limit yourself to what you're asking for? I mean, if you get the curative instruction and they grant the mistrial, then you've got it. But mm-hmm. why would you limit yourself by saying you want a mistrial? You know, get it when you should have asked for the curative instruction. So just all three things are the best thing to do. But but truly, if they have – if it's uh, 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 something where the prejudice – and I can just use my, my, my probate example. If I brought up that this guy – well, you know, the opposing party is uh, best friends with a murderer and it was an estate case and he was going to kill my client mm-hmm. – um, and the judge ruled against it. Now, he should have let that in, but that would be, if the judge told me no, and I said, and my, no, I wouldn't say it because I'm not a witness, but if, the, if my client was mad and said it, which they always want to get their story out, mm-hmm. then um, first they, the, the judge will try to sanction me for not telling my client about it. And mm-hmm. when he does takes a witness on voir Dyer and the, my client says, she told me absolutely not to say this, it just slipped out, Your Honor. I couldn't help it. I had an, an anxiety moment. They'll still try to sanction me. For not having it under control of my client because they're an arm of me, those don't usually stick. The sanction is usually don't bring it again. If it does come up again, and you know it, they don't, they're not really that harsh. But I got sanctioned in a murder trial once um, because uh, what did I bring up? I brought up something that the judge was really mad about. I can't even think of what it was right now, but uh, it was Judge Carter up in the T twenty eighth, and he said. Um, I told you not to bring that up. Oh, oh that um, the, the victim was a gang member. For some reason... The judge didn't want me to bring up that he was in a gang, and mm-hmm. the reason that he, there was a gun battle was because it was over drugs and a gang issue, and my guy was protecting himself. And I thought it was a huge defense issue mm-hmm. that and I needed to bring up. This has to do with gangs. He's got gang marks all over him. Why can't I bring up that my guy had feared that the, that there was gang activity? The judge just said it wasn't relevant. And when I had a witness get on the stand, he was, uh, it was the sister of the um, – the, the guy that was charged, uh, he said, um, she said it, and the judge shut everything down. He took the jury to the thing. He sanctioned me. I think it was not very much, but it was $100 and told me he was going to report me to the bar if it came up again. And I didn't say anything. You know, I was being sanctioned. But um, ultimately, we won that case. My, my client was exonerated for other reasons. And... Um, the uh, he withdrew the sanction, so the judges can also withdraw it if oh. after they hear the rest of the story, they may also feel like the sanction was inappropriate. I so see. they're just people too. Mm-hmm. So y- you kind of walk a fine line of what you say and what you don't say, and sometimes I would say sometimes you just got to get it out. Maybe the judge ruled wrong, um, but it's a, a, a fine tight walk, tightrope walk. So it's better to get a witness to. Uh, or the other side even to get to where you need to go and take that road and do a strategic planning to get your evidence in and if you can't no matter what then still preserve that error and that's kind of the same thing you're going to uh, it's incurable if if it comes out and the judge said no in that case he believed it was incurable but um that wasn't there was other stuff that wasn't harmful we had mm-hmm. other stuff that came mm-hmm. out in that particular trial that showed that my guy should have been exonerated and he was Perfectly within his rights to protect his family. So oh, okay. That's how we ended up winning that case. That's
0: good. So it was self-defense? your ground more oh, than okay. anything else. Mm-hmm.
1: But a uh, sad case. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right, so... Tell us about um, you were telling us about motions to exclude. Well,
0: you- it's just it's you know not nearly as interesting as motions in Lemony, but it is an aspect of a motion that you uh, and and I think it's interesting that when you make those they're they're kind of looked at as a running objection. Why don't you talk about? Well, not
1: even kind of they are. Yeah. <laughs> um, which I don't like running objections because um, there's so much case law that says that if you get an objection, if objecting the judge. Uh, rules in your favor, let's say for hearsay, you object because they're saying something somebody else said. Well, Let's say they try to do it again, and you don't object. Well, that's not a running objection. And let's mm-hmm. say I want a running objection, Your Honor, because they're going to c- keep trying to talk about what somebody else said, and they're not here, and they're lying about what that person said. They're just trying to, you know, they're lying about what the person that died said. They can't say that. Um, well, that you, you can't rely on a running objection for that. You're going to have to every single time they start to open their mouth, you're listening for them. Well, they said the minute the word "said" comes out, mm-hmm. you're you're jumping up out of your seat, objecting. And there's mm-hmm. there's some uh, there's well there's a 23 or 24, and I can't remember the exact number. Number of um, of hearsay exceptions, you know, excited utterance, you mm-hmm. know, maybe an ancient document, what have you. But dying but, declaration, yeah, what all, all those are. But mm-hmm. um, but you're still going to object because you've got to get the objection because it may not be within that the, the purview of those exceptions. Now, um, a motion to exclude. According to um, another uh, Supreme Court sanctioned case, mm-hmm. uh, Texas Supreme Court, a motion to exclude in effect accomplishes the same thing as a of objection. It eliminates the need to repeat the objection each time the evidence is admitted on a topic. You're not going to be able to get a running uh, a motion to exclude hearsay. I mean that's that's a, a given, right? But a motion to exclude is something like um, you can't bring up gang activity. That's mm-hmm. going to be you already have it in there. You shouldn't be you shouldn't have to jump up and say it each time. Mm-hmm. But don't take your chances if you think. If, depending on which side you're on, if it's something that hurts you, you still want to do that. So, um, But it's, you also want to take care um, in drafting the scope of the motion to exclude, which should identify both the subject matter of the ejectable evidence and the source of the evidence, because if it's too broad, you're not going to get it. So it, you've, you've lost the purpose of your, your motion. Okay, so what, what can you tell us about preservation of error and voir
0: dire? Uh, Well, Mm Verdier, you know, it's one of the trickier areas uh, for error uh, preservation. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's an improper restriction in Verdier and there are challenges for cause. And the reason it's such
1: a difficult one to get an error on is because your jury panel doesn't have facts. They're just public, you know, they're just citizens trying to do their public service. And they're just listening to the questions. But uh, so. But the big preservation of error, I think, is when um, that somebody gets on that jury and they have not told the complete truth yeah. on their form. Right. Uh, they know
0: the defendant and, and, yeah. or they...
1: And it doesn't work in small towns because everybody knows everybody. Uh-huh. But they may have had a situation where they lost in a case and it was favorable to you or the other side. It was such a strong part of the case that there would have been a prejudice that they couldn't have overcome. Or let's say that they flat out lied. I had had a guy, I can't believe we did this, but we did a jury trial for a traffic ticket, my daughter and I, a long time ago. I was like, let's just try it. And we did it right before we had a, a, I was going to do a murder Jury trial. Oh, my and, goodness. And, and we ended up losing the traffic ticket. And so you can imagine my anxiety <laughs> when I was going forward. But we um, we had a bad juror. He was a, he was a felon, and he ended up on a jury. But I wasn't going to go try to get it reversed because oh it was gosh. just a traffic ticket.
0: Okay, well, listen, Tony and I have been here today talking about preservation of error. We've been talking about motions in limine, motions to exclude. Uh, basically setting up the appellate record. Um, So I guess we'll finish this conversation next week. we're going to
1: do preservation of error, and we have more details on more specifics on things that are critical and special pointers that you must listen to, that you must have that are critical for you to be uh, in control of your next uh, trial. Um,
0: And we want to remind you to to serve
1: God by serving others. All right, have a
0: great week.